Um, hi everyone, um, so welcome back to episode 2 of season 3 of the Oh My Gosh podcast. Um, in this month's podcast we'll be sitting down with Anne Piercy who is our Know Now worker and our personal support worker who will be letting us know all about World AIDS Day and lots of additional information so I hope you enjoy. So for this month's podcast um, we'll be sitting down and having a chat with our personal um, support worker and our Know Now uh, community um, support worker, is that correct Anne? Community worker. Community worker, apologies. <laughs> um, and Anne will be telling us a bit about um, World AIDS Day. So welcome Anne. Thank you very much. Thanks Jessica and Patrick. Hello. Hi. How's um, yours Anne? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, first of all, I'd like to um, just um, talk about the World AIDS Day 2022. And um, World AIDS Day takes place annually on the 1st of December of every year. And um, World AIDS Day is a global health campaign pioneered by World Health Organization since 1988. And this year, the 1st of December marks 34 years since the campaign was launched. Every year there's a theme and this year's uh, global UN AIDS theme is Equalize. It is a call, yeah? It is a call to action um, urging everyone to address the inequalities that are happening, uh, that are hampering the progress to end AIDS by 2030. Oh. Yep. So there's a lot of inequalities. Is there? Yes. <laughs> no, actually, um, when I saw the theme this year, I thought, okay, inequality, and uh, we could, we could, when we, when we look at or when I look at Ireland, sometimes I'm like, yeah, maybe there's inequality, but maybe there's not, and I think it depends with the way people see it and where people are at that moment, because there's some that feel. I'm okay, I'm fine. But there's some that are still struggling to, you know, maybe access health um, care systems. There's some that maybe are not in a good place at the moment and uh, maybe they need help and we just don't realize, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you say that there is some discrimination, some there isn't. Where are the bits that there isn't? Um. I think uh, sometimes uh, it also depends with uh, actualization where a person is, and when it when we talk about stigma, stigma is not about other people stigmatizing the person that's living with HIV, but it's also the person themselves stigmatizing themselves, thinking that everyone else around them is talking about them, or everybody else around them, you know, knows about them, or they are really bothered about them you know, having HIV and maybe they will transmit and all those things. Yeah. yeah. I notice how you're saying it, though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where you kind of, <clears throat> excuse just... me, where you say it quite quickly, but mm-hmm. I, I can feel it, actually, the impact of that and yes. how much energy that takes. Yes. Um, I think for people themselves that are living with HIV, it's very um, stigma as of now, this DNH, um, it's all inside, you mm. know. 
I don't want to, a lot of people don't want to associate, especially dating. Let me talk about the dating part of it, <laughs> because that's one thing that comes all the time. As a person who works with people living with HIV, I get a lot of, you know, phone calls or a lot of people that I meet will ask me, um, do you know anyone, you know, who's living with HIV, who's single and would like, you know, to date? And I kind of like go, but you are living with HIV, yes. You're on medication, yes. You avail to your medication, yes. Uh, why would you specifically be looking for, you know, people that are also living with HIV for you to date? Because you can date anybody else. I think that's around safety and uncomfortability, kind of reassurance, kind of getting a call up to the office and kind of reaching out to someone. Um, and just wanting, yeah, as I said, reassurance around it. Yeah, I think it's reassurance as well because uh, in as much as people are living with HIV and maybe their viral load is suppressed or their, 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 viral, their viral load is undetected, they still don't know how. You know, it's the how. How is it? How is it undetected? Well, I've had the virus all, all along, and all of a sudden, because I'm taking medication, my viral load is suppressed, or my vir my virus is undetected. Um, it's also education to the people that are living with HIV, mm. because I don't think they are educated enough. I don't think when they go to access. Um, services like um, the clinics, they are taught exactly how the medication works. Because if I meet people and I talk to people about how the medication works, at the end of the day, they will just go, okay, do you know anyone who's looking you know, for a relationship? Because I feel now empowered that I can actually meet and date someone who's living with HIV. And I actually see here a lot of people, when, especially when they come testing, they come so anxious. Oh, I don't want this thing. Oh, I think I slept with someone. Maybe they've given me uh, HIV. The first question I ask them is, how do you know they have it? Yeah. Did they tell you? Oh, no, they didn't. So how do you know they have it? Oh, I'm just assuming. Why? Oh, maybe because I think they've slept with 10 people. And do you think all those 10 people had HIV as well? Oh, no, I don't know. Okay, number one, put that aside. Let's pack that because you don't know if they have it or not. So we're going to do a test. But what is it about HIV that you don't want? And they will go, oh, because I know if I have it, I'll have it for life. I said, what if you had diabetes? Yeah. <clears throat> and they go quiet then. Because I do, I notice that often when I talk to people, mm. that they forget that there are some medical conditions that you yep. have for life that actually, at the moment, if you're not on medication, yep. can be worse. Yes. Worse, actually. Yeah. And uh, when, when, you, when people talk about HIV, you know, it's like, oh, I can't have that. Okay, you can't have that. But what if you had it? Yeah. You know, mm. it's easy to say, I can't have that or I don't want to have that. And you come in here and do a test every two weeks, every three weeks. Well, you can have, you will have it. <laughs> if, if you're coming in here every two, three weeks, there's something you're doing. Mm. Yeah. That's making you come in here. But also on the on a good note, you know, sometimes I get 
I get people that come here to do tests maybe every six months and when you hear their story uh, they'll tell you that oh uh, my partner is living with HIV and um, I just came to I'm just coming for a routine check and I get so curious and inquisitive yeah. to find out and uh, um, it's something that in the end I actually just hug them I know I'm not supposed to but I do <laughs> <laughs> let not the boss hear this <laughs> boundaries but it's just that thing that um someone comes in and they tell you that they're living with someone who has who is living with hiv and they're having unprotected sex and um, they're fine they're okay mm -hmm. and when i ask are you on prep they'll tell me no i'm not i'm not on prep and when we do when we do a test they're not even anxious or yeah. anything no mm. because they know that you know medication works they know that uh, their partner is on medication they're adhering to their medication and they cannot transmit yeah. so um it's and i always say fair play to you and thank you very much the first thing i'll say is thank you very much for actually telling me that yeah. number one number two for actually being with this person because you could be the only one maybe in their whole life. If you leave them, someone else, you know, people will just pass them by because, mm -hmm. oh, they have HIV and I don't want to come anywhere near them. But I, even as I hear you say that, I think mm. the language plays such a big part in it. Because yes. when I heard you say people who have HIV or mm. people who are living with HIV, mm. I think both of those have such different feelings with them. Yes. And, and I often, sorry. Mm -hmm. you, know, you go ahead. Because I do think it has such an impact and I think depending on the community you're in, and I know we work with all communities, mm. it can have a big impact on it and the stigma can be huge. Yes. And um, I remember, I'll give you an example. Um, we were somewhere testing outreach, a festival, happy out. Everyone was merry and, you know, busy out. But um, someone came and they were intoxicated yes i did understand but for someone to say what they said it really really annoyed me because they came and we were doing testing and um they met one of the volunteers who they didn't know who the volunteer was they didn't know whether they gave the, the volunteer was gay or heterosexual or was hiv or was living with hiv or they didn't know anything even us, we don't ask those yeah. questions at all because they're volunteering and we don't really need to know. But this guy came and uh, just said, um, wanted to do a test. And then he says, uh, I'm sure all of you who are doing this are all infected or are all infested with this virus. And I happened to just arrive at that point when he was saying that and I was behind him and the volunteer was so shocked and didn't know what to say, didn't yeah. know what to answer. And um, I, I, then I said to him, I said, what did you say? Oh, I'm just saying that everybody that's doing these things, you, you must all be infected. You're all infested with this virus. And I looked at him and I said, how do you know what, what makes you say that? Oh, because you're doing this, you're working. And, and I said, really? And what are you doing here now yourself? 
oh, I came to do a test. I said, Anna, are you okay yourself? Are you not infested? And he was like, oh, no, I, I, I was just coming to do a test. And I said, yeah, we're not doing a test on you today. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you to leave this space. Oh, no, I'm not leaving because I want to know. And I said, no, we're not doing a test on you. Now, leave. Come back some other day, but not today. We're not doing a test. And I turned around. And he looked, and I don't know, maybe he wanted to say something, but I was so annoyed. So, so annoyed. How could you just turn around and say, all of you are infected or are infested with this virus? Uh, we're working, like. Yeah. A large assumption to make. I think we are discussing this before we actually came on the podcast, and it's like, if that's what's being said in meant to be safe places, what's happening outside? Yes. Yes. You know, and, exactly. and who, if anyone is catching those comments, comments that are being said, yes, that is furthermore adding to the whole stigmatization of it, of HIV. Exactly. Um, and it's worse, actually, with, uh, this was a, a white Irish gentleman. He wasn't a gentleman anywhere at the time. <laughs> but this was like, but um, it happened uh, the same week. Um, we had a, um, a stand and uh, somebody came to the stand. And I had moved away, but when someone came, because I was a volunteer, and I am somebody who works in the organization, I'm, I always make sure that I'm around. So this person comes and leans forward to this volunteer and says, what organization is this again? And uh, the volunteer goes, oh, it's GASH, Gender Orientation, Sexual Health and HIV. And he goes, ah, so what do you do? And then he says, ah, oh, we, we give out information, there's counseling and also testing, rapid testing. At the moment, we're doing rapid testing in the rooms up there. And he goes, ah, well, you should be here doing that because you're the ones who are bringing it here yes and because the volunteer was a black man and of course i am black as well and i was standing behind him when he said that so i just came forward moved forward and i said excuse me what did you just say and he goes oh i was just saying that uh, this hiv here in ireland is a lot nowadays because of you black people are bringing it here yes he said that to me and i said that's not right now do you read at all statistics or and all those things and he went well that's what the media tells us so i hear i listen to the media and i said maybe you go back go on shpc and um Go and check statistics and then you start pointing fingers and by the way the statistics won't tell you whether the the, the people that have got hiv here in ireland are black or white because it's not relevant because it's not relevant you're right and he went oh really and i said yes and please you don't mind apologizing to him because i think what you said wasn't wasn't good it wasn't a good comment you didn't say it to me, because if it was me, I'd have slapped you. <laughs> <coughs> Not that we condone physical violence. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's what I said. So there's, that's why when we talk about HIV, 
especially here in Ireland, you will find that a lot of migrant community are invisible. Yeah. Silent and invisible. Even if you try to set up, let's say, support groups and all, they won't come because they don't want to be associated with HIV. And it's not that they're not on medication. No, they are on medication. Yeah. But it's because they are so comfortable in their own spaces whereby they know that they are on medication and they cannot transmit because they're on medication. So why should they go outside and talk about themselves? It's so different. Here in Ireland, there's no female advocates, especially mm -hmm. from black community. No, mm -hmm. then there's none. In England, Jesus Christ, they've got everything. They've got NGOs there, the ones who are running the HIV campaigns in England. Yeah. But here in Ireland, no. Why? It's because of stigma. Nobody wants to associate with people that are living with HIV. Therefore, they have pods. They actually form their own groups. And in order to infiltrate in those groups, my goodness <laughs> me, there is kind of like a list you need to tick. Yes, yes, yes. And then you know, people start getting comfortable with you to go into those groups and, you know, be part of the group. Otherwise, no. It's like a blame game all over again. You know, how um, AIDS first um, came around, kind of, like, you know, the gay community, was, it was yes. advanced on the gay community. It's yes. shifting the blame. There's no blame on it, absolutely anyone. Yes. So at the moment, um, you will find that um, gay community... Um, if someone is, if uh, someone who's a non-national, as they call migrant, uh, migrant person living with HIV, and they meet a gay person, they can actually disclose their status easily, because I don't know. It's, uh, it's the thing of gay people. You've gone through the hardest times here in Ireland for you to come out this way. And I think and I feel that they relate somehow, even if it's not the same, even if the other one is an illness and the other one is just, you know, um, orientation. But there's all that thing of relating to say you, we have been discriminated, all of us have been discriminated and maybe we can form a relationship or we can bond. So there's all those things. Yeah. I think um, I agree with you in what you're saying and I do think because often when I think of the stuff around and I'm saying this stuff around HIV and AIDS I mm. think of everything that has happened and I think it's coming up quite a lot at the moment in conversations and on TV and in media mm. and I know <coughs> excuse me, with COVID, yes. I remember the conversation around it. And I, I remember getting really irrationally angry around it. Mm. Whereas like, well, we're here calling this a pandemic because it's mm. killed this many, and it is. Mm. Yes. And yet there's this other one yes. that has completely wiped out entire populations. Mm. Yes. And I think there is a bit, because I know I work in this area mm. and I've some clients who are living with HIV and I've some clients who aren't. Yeah. And there is this kind of knowing that happens yeah. where it's not a, because I do think there is judgments made and I think yes. people in the community, I mean, every time I hear someone say, oh, I'm clean, 
my whole oh, body shivers. In, uh, it just I'm hurts. clean. You're right about that language. I'm clean. You're so I do know clean. it's there. Yes. And yet I think because I I know there's a lot of conversation at the moment around U equals U yes. and prep and mm. everything that's available. And I know I always feel a bit uncomfortable with it because I get it and mm. I think it's fantastic that we have these things available. Mm. And yet there's always a part of me that's going, I don't think we've addressed the grief that happened, the loss, the possibility mm. of loss, the mm. threat of it. Mm. And there's something of the jumping over that that happens mm. in it and the connection in it that yes. often people from communities where HIV is something that is part of their community. Yes. There is a comfortableness mm. and familiarity with it too. Yes. Um, COVID. COVID. Covid, I think, uh, unraveled a lot of things. Um, <laughs> Just to say, it's the office dog. <laughs> Her name is Julia. It's Julia. <laughs> Julie wants like... input. <laughs> <laughs> Julie wants input. Yeah, Covid. Um, Covid actually unraveled a lot of things. Uh, there was the vulnerability of people actually a lot of it's like everybody was vulnerable including myself i thought yeah. there was a time that I, I was thinking will i ever be able to go and see my mom mm. i got to the point whereby i thought that's it i'll never be able to go home and uh, thinking of the president actually getting covid i'm like anybody can get it yeah. mm. but then at the same time when when I was talking, when I would be talking to, or when I would be supporting people, in those times, they were the bravest. You would hear them talk, and sometimes I would be like, "Are you not afraid of like catching COVID?" And they'd be like, "No, not at all. I'm not even thinking about it." The first maybe week or two weeks, I think, when it was hype and everyone was scared of COVID, there was a few people that would call and say, how do we do this? How do yeah. I? Yeah. But after that, no, people just went, no, I'm not, I'm not scared. The only thing though that actually came up a lot was um, isolation. Yeah. A lot of um, issues with isolation and also um, how to access medication because um, the STI clinic here in Limerick, um, you know, where it is, um, it's um, when you're going in, you kind of like you're going through the doors of Max Ofecio and then you go upstairs. Yes, yes you, and then you're going upstairs and then, you know, that's it. And it's on the side door whereby everyone can see yeah you know that people are going in there but then during covid they were not doing any max official stuff definitely it's all to do with hiv because even the sti clinic wasn't working as in a hundred percent and by the way as well there was no consultant so mm. well <laughs> there wasn't much going on but still there was uh, services were being provided um, just for people living with HIV to access 
the clinic. See, it's even the way you're talking. Now. <laughs> yes. I, I can't help but get this kind of thing of yeah. oh, the services are there for you to access. Yes. But it it feels like, and it's a familiar feeling, mm. and it's one that kind of hits me in a certain way. Because mm. I think of other cities where there is full, like, there is a consultant, mm-hmm. and there is a team of people that are available to talk if needed. Yeah. yeah. And I do find it sometimes that it, because I've been in the STI clinic, and I've yeah. gone with clients to the STI mm. clinic as well, and there mm. is that feeling, I often think of the church chairs or the chairs along the walls in it that feel weird the corridor of the doom. corridor that you can feel the energy in the room and it's like yes I, I can't help but feel sometimes this deserves more respect um and um i've heard from people a number of people that i support that they don't want to raise anything about that building about the corridor of doom because of shame because yeah. of stigma surrounding HIV, because of stigma surrounding STIs. So for them, they're like, well, maybe that's how we are supposed to be. You know, this is what they've given us. Uh, they've given us this unit and this is where we will be going. But it's not a, it's not a place where you, you actually want to go and, you know, access services. No, uh, it's not at all. I always get this like when you when you talk about that like take what you're given. Yes. Yeah. Um, take what you're given, and um, it's a pity because that's why now it also goes back to having activists or advocates to talk on behalf. And the other thing I find is that there's no consultation with the with these patients. So again, there is an invisible link. This. Mm. So everything will be done for you. You just come here, get your medication and go home and that's it. You'll be fine. You'll be okay. But what does the patient need? Yeah, a lot of Do they need a comfortable place whereby they will sit and reflect? No. Do you want them to just come in and get their medication and get out of here? Go. But again, it's the need. Yes. Like it's the need or deserve. Yes. Because everybody deserves dignity and respect. Yes. yeah. No, I um if there was one thing I would change I would change that clinic. Yes. Yeah. And I'm saying this with my heart. I would change that space. Yeah. Well and I think and I realise and I'll mm-hmm. talk a bit about this in a minute, but I think when we look at other things that people have and and circumstances that people are in, when we look at things like oncology in the hospital and different sections of it the amount of comfort oh i remember going in family members and and people i know who have treatment and they get hot water bottles yep they get gorgeous reclining chairs and that's necessary yeah and then we have hiv which originally was called a gay cancer oh yes and nothing that's absolutely straight on my mind when patrick when you were on about it and what came to my mind was flowers in the desk i don't know why but yeah. flowers in a desk and welcoming and warm yes um no it's different it's a pity it's a shame and um um as i say there's no there's nobody who can voice out and all because of stigma and all because well if they start voicing out definitely they'll be on the pedestal and you know people will be look oh okay all right but I don't think there's need for anyone to make noise in order for things to change. 
Well, I don't think anyone should have to make noise in order for things to change. No. And yet, that hospital has been the hospital has been revamped left, right, and center, including build, including building uh, car parks and all that. Mm. And yet, the STI clinic is just like something. And I, because I'm thinking of actually the psychiatric unit, so Mm -hmm. the area that the acute unit that they had the having been in there before they did it up and having been in there after they did it up the yeah. difference is colossal yeah so there's so much where yeah there's so much and uh, nowadays um i see people if before covid jesus christ for people to go there they will tell you that their blood pressure will be high before yeah. they even arrive first of all they'll have to think okay parking they go and park their car or if they're coming by bus well they sneak through that small little door the gates you know after the bus stop and sneak into the building and sometimes that maxofacial space is all full packed and definitely if someone is going a flight of stairs up they are going to the sti clinic and they will be escorted with eyes yep up to the first floor and then the door used to be closed yes and just for somebody to open those doors to walk in those corridors my but not knowing what's on the other side exactly and i mean those stairs could do with a revamp they're very dark (laughs) (laughs) they're literally at least they're polished every day they're polished every day <laughs> but uh it's it's that you're right yeah. and then just walking through walking through those corridors the, the corridor they call it the corridor of doom to just present themselves that they're there so nowadays what they they say is that because there's masks so they put on masks yeah. and uh, a hoodie just to disguise themselves that you know people shouldn't recognize them I think there was one time, do you remember, Patrick, there was one time somebody reported that they, were, they got a phone call from someone who was yes. looking to date them. And they were actually sitting in the car park watching people coming, going in and out of those doors. Yeah. And they actually recognized a few people going in and out of those doors. And one of them got a text, was it a text message that yep. they got actually saying that I saw you going in there and sometimes I think why don't they use the you know going through the main door and going up the other way there's there's a way way. yes there's a way to go up there instead of those open doors I understand the need for signposting and everything but when I heard you speak about oncology it didn't say okay to see obviously it's going to say units but it just doesn't have to be so like isolated mm. yeah mm-hmm. everything and okay this is the sti clinic mm. so this is the clinic <laughs> well yeah you know mm-hmm. and i find myself when i talk about it my hands very close to my chest i'm like yes yeah. you know yeah there's um there's a lot and um the other thing that i, I found out is that people have actually um even even though they leave in within they've actually uh, gone and sought, you know, 
medication somewhere else. Yeah. They've actually migrated to either Cork or Galway or Dublin where nobody knows them. And it's all stigma. And sometimes you also find people from Dublin coming to Limerick yes. to, to do that, yeah. to access um, services. And I think often, well, I wonder actually, because I don't know this, and maybe you would know mm -hmm. from your clients, but I know often within the gay community, there's a kind of language that happens that is okay. the, the glance mm -hmm. or the, the look of kind of knowing. Mm. And I think there's a certain level of comfort in that. Mm -hmm. And there's a certain level of, isolation too yes because I, I remember noticing it when we were there because we used to escort people actually i don't yes. know if we still do i'm assuming we do yeah, yeah. we we do if they <coughs> they need to be escorted to yeah, yeah so if we they're do nervous yeah, or yeah, anything. yeah and i can remember sitting in there and watching people and some people would do there'd be the glances of kind of the head nod mm -hmm. of knowing but yes not quite knowing what to say or do mm. yes so it's like this kind of unspoken knowing secret that everybody knows acknowledging about. Yeah. each other but at the same time not speaking not voicing that's why them I'm, I'm i'm always referring to hiv here in ireland as silent and invisible yeah because it's all silent mm. it's not talked about it's not spoken about it's not it's not it's something that people don't want to be associated with yeah and um well, they cannot, well, it's, well, nobody wants to be, not, not associate, it's association, it's not about having it, it's just, you know, if you know somebody. Or the assumption okay. that Yeah, the assumption, yes. Because yes. I often, and I know for me, there is, for me, there's something around shame that often mm -hmm. <clears throat> silence amplifies and breeds yes. shame, because... yes. For me, shame is relational. It happens between people. And if that's silenced, mm. then it is left as a feeling to manip to multiply Yes. in that. And I see it with things like ACT UP and all the stuff like this where people have to be considerably vocal mm -hmm. in order to speak for themselves. And there's something about people shouldn't have to fight mm -hmm. to be seen. It shouldn't have to be, uh, I will stand up. Mm. And, it, and people do stand up and we need them to stand up. Mm -hmm. But I always know, I remember we were at, and it's something completely different, so I'm throwing it in as an example, not yeah. as a part of this. I remember being in New York and walking through Times Square and seeing a protest around trans rights and feeling mm -hmm. completely blown away by it and really emotional in it. Mm. And I find the same with the stuff around HIV mm. and AIDS, where people have gotten to a point where the only way they can get their voices heard is by taking to the streets. Mm -hmm. Something feels yes. really wrong about that for me. Yes. And unfortunately, here in Ireland, uh, not a lot of people, well, maybe the gay community, because they are out there, they're very, you know, outcoming and they can, they are able to voice themselves. But when you look at migrant community, yeah. they don't, they can't yeah. do that. Because of how they're discrimination. Yeah, against. it's because of the discrimination. So it, there's quite a lot to be done. I wish, uh, you know, the campaign 2019 that started the U equals U campaign that the posters were all over. I wish that they could take that up again yeah. and go full force with it. Uh, because I think a lot of people um, got the message, a lot of people who didn't know, they actually learned a lot from that. But the campaign because of COVID, COVID. 
<laughs> Covid stopped a lot. When I hear you talk and there's words up into my head that it's a constant need to be picked up. Yes. Rather than something that's constantly levitating in there and can be easily accessible. But always, what I see when I hear you talk, I my view of it, it's, it's, it's a pick up and then it's dropped. A pick up and yes. a drop. Um, rather than being held. Yes. Comfortably where people can see it. Yes. And go for it if they feel like they want to. Yes. Um, rather than reaching for the bottom constantly and starting all and the way up again. And then starting all over again. You're right. And I think in the pick and drop, pick and drop, it's more to do with uh, um, choices. I sometimes feel like, okay, uh, maybe we look at this first. Because this has been there for a very long time, but there's this new thing. So let's quickly do this and then we'll come back to this. Meanwhile, the thing that they're coming back to which is the HIV it's been there why not as you're saying pick and drop pick and drop why not just you know uh, continue it's the mm -hmm. continuation because the moment you drop it for for you to go back and start again picking it up again you know it's it, it's too much effort of these things and something does because you've said that and it's reminded me of it that and I don't know if this is an Irish thing but I notice it because I've been here a long time and mm. you've been here one and so have you too mm -hmm. mm. that for some reason it's really easy to forget the bits that have been done yes because I can remember some of the work around HIV when I first started here and mm. I remember the conversations we were having yeah and I catch myself every so often like I still have to say to people sometimes you know HIV and AIDS aren't the same thing yes yeah like we had someone mm. the other day who said something about AIDS and we are like you know that's not what's going on what's here. going on mm -hmm. yes um there's some things that sometimes when you hear about them you go oh my god i quite often hear when we go doing outreach you say oh i thought aids is gone aids is no more aids is no more but if somebody has HIV and is not on medication, definitely yeah. it will transpire into yeah. AIDS. Yeah, yeah. So AIDS is not gone, as in gone, because there's a lot. Of, there's people that are living with HIV, or there's people that so don't know that have never been tested before, yeah. that they don't know <coughs> that they have HIV, and after ten to fifteen years, without getting any, without testing and without being on treatment, HIV you know, the end result is AIDS. Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, at the moment, people think that um, AIDS is gone. There's no more AIDS. There's no AIDS. I'm kind of thinking in my head about media campaigns and people go on and speak on the television and majority of people who may do that are wearing a T-shirt or maybe the red ribbon. Mm. And I'm kind of thinking, okay, that's impactful, but aren't people's words impactful enough? Mm-hmm. Mm it's like another layer to it mm. i think it's um I th for me i feel like uh people's words are very impactful but that's where i'm coming back to saying we don't have activists or advocates mm. yeah. especially in other you know populations we have in the gay community gay population but other than that heterosexual no no Migrants? No. Yeah. Yes. Because I know, I remember, and I don't know if it's still the same, because I haven't kept up with it, but mm. 
I know there was a time when it was gay men were the highest number of new um, identifications of living with HIV. Mm-hmm. And the second highest was women in their 40s. Yes. That weren't gay. Yes. So I do, it does, there are people not of that community. Mm-hmm. And I know is that in England, gay men are now below or not the highest. Yes. Yeah. Um, and it's all um, activism. If people associate themselves, if there's a lot of people that are gay that are coming out, well, you will see that a lot of gay men that are living with HIV, they will follow suit and they will actually be tagging along because, well, we are a group of 20 that are living with HIV and I am one of them and I'm in this group. But when it comes to uh, women, no, because women, women, there's a lot to lose. And that's actually where what I was thinking yes. as you were saying that is, and I think we get back to the gender kind of stuff where mm-hmm. if a man gets HIV, mm-hmm. there is a certain level of privilege that comes with that because he's, he, and I'm using inverted commas here, but he's yes. still a man. Yes. Whereas I think how women are treated and how much they're discriminated against mm. that living with HIV might for some be experienced as just another fault here mm-hmm. and i i'm using those words with a bit of charge in them yes inequality yeah because women well um is a woman and there's a lot of thing that comes with that yeah women have got responsibilities women are mothers women are women in the society whereby they are looked upon as caring as nurturing and all these things Even so if they're not if they are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I see that a lot of uh, women, well, women that will be living with HIV, some of them would have children. And because of discrimination, because of the stigma and discrimination, a lot of women don't want to come out. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be advocates. They don't want to be activists because they're protecting their families. They're protecting their children. Suppose a, a, a woman comes out that they're living with HIV and it's, and the news and everywhere and they have uh, a young child or boy or girl that they're dropping at school and the parents they school definitely these parents of the other children will associate this young child and the mother they will uh, they will definitely make one plus one and say maybe he too has and they'll start telling the children don't be near that one you know starting to discriminate the children in school so we find a lot of migrant women that will tell you that I don't want to talk about my status because I've got children, I've got my children in school and I don't want yeah. them to be discriminated because of that. Which is on one level bananas mm-hmm. that actually people still think it's that easily transmitted. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bananas. Bananas. And nowadays because of medication, if some, if one, if, if a person, um, is on medication and they want to have children they can have unprotected sex and have yeah. babies and yeah. the babies will will not have um, HIV yeah. so there's a lot of assumptions that you know well a lot of outdated knowledge on a lot of outdated knowledge I'd like to educate everyone and please do find me in gosh <laughs> yeah, even the posters, um, 
before the stand-up went one stuff like you know you can't get HIV from cuddling kissing yes. or sharing a cup with someone and mm. that still has to be signposted yeah yes you yes know? yeah it's um it's it's something that I think when I think about it I'll give you an example um during COVID in the hostels the asylum seeking hostels um because you know the five kilometer radius and maybe not even the five kilometer radius it's like people were locked in our houses and our yeah. rooms and in the, in the direct provision there could be two or three single people sharing a room it was so hard for them to actually take their medication yeah because how do they move or how do they pop their medication to take definitely the friends will be asking are you sick what's yeah. going what's wrong with you yeah. so adherence to medication during covid was very very hard and they may not be friends no that. yeah it might be quite forceful yeah and because i still think and it's one of the mo- one moment that has stuck with me the whole time mm. is when i would do rapid tests and i know i don't do mm. many of them anymore but mm. i remember doing them one day and i hadn't realized that i had in myself somewhere shut off the fact that in ireland mm. this is fine so we can do a test with someone they can be diagnosed or they can yeah. come back reactive they can go mm. on and get treatment mm. i remember working with someone in the asylum process and they thought they were about to be sent back to their country yes and actually when i was doing the test with them it was that realization of oh fuck. yes this is not just mm. a result here this yes. is something far bigger yes a life and death question mm-hmm. that i actually hadn't realized i'd happily shut out of me yeah so that i didn't have to think about it that the mm. reality is in ireland we have this mm. but actually in some places in the world this is still at that level yeah and um, even um, now that you've said that um, when people come here i sometimes feel like um, they come and uh, well um, i don't want to get tested it's because word has already gone around that you know it's people from outside that are bringing hiv to ireland yeah. so why should i get tested because if i get tested and i'm and um, i'm hiv positive that means you know i'll be discriminated I'm, i won't be able to get a job i want to be able to do apc so they just you know integrate into the society yeah. and live normally now um HIV, you know, when it's in the second stage, the first stage is uh, the three months period whereby, you know, the body is telling you, well, you need to get checked. So that's where you get sick. And then this the second phase whereby the virus can stay in the body for for 10 to 15 years and it's working inside it's lower it's replicating and the cd4 count is going down and in that moment the person doesn't get sick anymore because the first time when the person gets sick it's like the body is manufacturing the antibodies the body is fighting it's constantly fighting and it will fight um, and the levels will go down but then after that, it's like a hide and seek game between the virus and the CD and the and the antibodies. So then, slowly but surely, the CD4 count will be going down and the virus will be going up. 
And in that moment, the person might sometimes have a headache, might have, you know, a rush here. Well, when it's heat, when there's heat, like this year, people, you know, someone would think, well, it's a heat, it's a yeah. heat, there's a, there was a heat wave and I have a heat rush. And sometimes a person would feel nauseous, oh, maybe I, I ate bad food and, and all those things. But in that 10 to 15 years, you know, the virus, but when people come here, you know, from outside, they might also think, ah, maybe, maybe I don't have, you know, why am I not, why am I not getting sick? It's because there's all the food that they can get, all the nutrition yeah. that they can get here than what maybe they could have afforded back home. Because if I am to tell you, <laughs> a chicken in where I come from is very expensive. But when I came here, I bought chicken for three euro. I couldn't believe three euro whole big chicken. <laughs> I'm like, I'll be eating chicken every day. <laughs> I just went, no veggies for me because we have gardens at the back of our houses. I'm like, no veggies for me. Thank you. Yeah. I'll be eating chickens and I'll be eating beef and that's it. But they forget that, you know, because they because they're not feeling anything because they're not getting sick quite often they think oh i don't have it so yeah. they relax meanwhile uh, a human being is a human being they will want to go you know meet someone yeah transmission happens and uh, still they don't want to get tested and when you check when you look at the statistics it will be a lot of people that are diagnosed late would be people that are not Irish. Really? Yes. Wow. And women. Women. Yeah. Okay. They are the late diagnose. They are the late diagnosis. Because they're comfortable. And sometimes, as I say, their parents, their mothers, and yeah. they don't want to be seen. Um, so they, and their health, they're okay, they're not getting sick all the time. It's when the immune system is completely, you know, low. It's very, very low. And they start getting sick all the time, fluish and headaches and this, and then this, they, um, they become very, very sick and they're losing weight. That's when they go and present themselves. And wow. by then the immune system would be very low. If they are unlucky, an opportunistic infection would have come in and most of the times they won't make it. So I think, and I realize I just moved straight on from that. Yes. Because <laughs> that's actually quite a scary thought. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because I often hear people calling up and stuff like that that you know, can lay dormant in your body. Yes. That's not always going to present itself. No. It's it's the dormancy is because uh, the person is not getting sick. It's mm -hmm. working inside. It's actually replicating a lot inside. Because if one virus goes into a CD4 cell, um, if, if it makes the CD4 cell a host, 300 or more will come out of that. So those 300 mm -hmm. or more will also be swimming in the blood looking for a CD4 cell. Mm -hmm. The, I don't want to call it a good thing, but uh, an HIV virus can survive in the bloodstream for two days only. Oh. Two days, yeah. 
it can survive in the bloodstream for two days only. So in that two days, it needs to get to a host. If it doesn't get to a host, it would die. It would disintegrate and die, and that's it. Which is part of the PEP stuff then. Yes. Which is part of the PEP. That's why people need, if, if they have uh, been at risk, they need to uh, go to A&E before 72 hours, which yeah. is three days, right? So if the virus goes into the CD4 cell, um, so the stage one is it has to bond or it has to bind with the CD4 cell, stage one, stage two, it will uh, fuse into the CD4 cell, it changes, it reverses the RNA into a DNA, and then it goes into stage four, which is the integration stage. When it gets to, into the integration stage, there's no turning back. Yeah. That's day four. Wow. So in day one, day two, day three, that's why if a person has been at risk in the first three days, they need to present themselves to the to any gum um, clinic. Yeah. Because if it goes into day four, it would have then gone into the integration stage, so there's no turning back. Do you think people, a lot of people know that? that no. The fact maybe, oh, I might be at risk of um, getting HIV, and that's it, that's fine, and mm. almost like put their faith right there and then, rather than, you know, uh, so taking protection action, mm. you know? So PEP is post-exposure prophylaxis, meaning the person has already been exposed. That's the one that they give uh, when a person presents themselves 72 hours after being exposed, they'll be given PEP. And that PEP will will prevent the virus going as far as day four, which is the integration stage, which is the no turning back stage. But if they take the PEP, the PEP will close off so that it doesn't go into the integration stage. Therefore, two days, the virus will disintegrate and die and boop, out. Yeah. But if they go and take and present themselves after four or five days, they could and they were at risk it could be that the virus would have already gone through mm -hmm. the the whole stage it takes about seven days for for a life cycle of an hiv virus to kind of like replicate to, for the cycle to complete that's why if someone comes to us to do a test after seven days we wouldn't uh, the, the test wouldn't detect anything because the virus was in the cycle yeah. but when it comes when it when when the 300 or more viruses comes out of um, the 300 viruses comes out then those 300 will be swimming in the blood also looking for host mm -hmm. a cd4 cell and if they don't manage they will die but if they manage let's say three managers three times three is what now let's say that means about a thousand viruses will then be in the blood. And then that's when the, the, the body starts thinking, what's that? I think there's something in here that's not supposed to be here because the virus will have, you know, when we go to the disco, we have, what do we call them? Those lights. Glow sticks. The glow sticks, yeah. yes. Yeah. So the, the virus will be running around with a glow stick and the tail. Yeah. Maybe at its tell, you know, I'm here, I'm here because I'm posting. Yeah. Yes, I'm posting. <laughs> I'm here, I'm here. And uh, then the body is like, we have something here. We've been invaded. Who's that? I don't know. Maybe it's COVID. 
COVID, try the AK. They, no, try the pistols, take out the pistols, shoot them. No, 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 I don't think it's that. I think this is something big. What is it? HIV. Get the AK-47s. We need to kill them. <laughs> we need to shoot them. And then that's when they will... Uh, so that's PEP. But then there's PrEP, which is pre-exposure prophylaxis. PrEP is used before engaging in sexual activities. So if somebody thinks, oh, I'm going out tonight and I don't know, I might get lucky, they need to take PrEP two hours before. Sure. So they can take it at 10 o'clock in the morning knowing that they're going 10 o'clock at night. And the reason is PrEP is a slow release tablet, even PEP, but because if they take it two hours, if they take it one hour before engaging in uh, sexual activities, it's not going to protect them because it's a slow release tablet. They need to take it two hours and they need to take two because then they are protecting themselves twice. And what's the window period then for um, PEP? Like, not PEP. the window period, sorry, like the, how long will somebody take? How long has yeah. a, a person, need, the, the person yeah, needs the to take? Yeah. They, they, they're given for 30 days. Yeah. It's just to make sure that um, they are. I actually heard from somebody who got PEP. They went away somewhere out of this country anyway. And um, they hadn't protected sex with uh, a sex worker. And uh, when the sex worker was leaving, told them, oh, by the way, um, I'm living with HIV. I'm on medication and I cannot transmit. And they left. <laughs> and the person, they said, I nearly died. Yeah. I was nearly dead when I was told that. But then they went to A&E there and uh, they were given PEP for three days. Oh. Yes. They were given PEP for three days. But then I thought, were they thinking of the 72 hours? Why were they giving PEP for three days only? Mm. But they were giving because immediately after the person left, straight away they went to A and E. Okay. So uh, they were given PEP for uh, three days, seventy-two hours. But then after that, um, because they knew the information, they came back and they went and they were given for thirty days as, uh, again. They were topped up. And is it just in A&E that people can access this or is it through pharmacies? I assume it's through the A&E's. It's um, unfortunately HIV medication, anything to do with HIV here is managed by the health, the Ministry of Health, the HSE only. Mm. So you can not get um, HIV medication in the pharmacy or GPs. You cannot get a pres you can get a prescription of prep from the doctors but then you when you go to the pharmacy you have to pay for it yeah. and it's expensive mm -hmm. but the hse gives it for free the only thing a person needs is a pps number okay. and the pps number is not to track who you are and what's your address and all these things no it's not it's not like they will keep your records for any other purposes apart from accountability because they want to account for how many preps did we give the person and um, if they're coming back, how many. So that when they're ordering, they know 
yeah. how much they need to order. Otherwise, they don't keep people's information for any other reasons about form accountability. Right. Go on. No, I've not All right. Uh, I'm wondering, and yeah, yeah, I'm wondering about the. Um, sorry, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm wondering about the You're screening. Fine. So I'm hearing you say things about the lying dormant for a long period of time, mm-hmm. and I know is it in Ireland if you're pregnant you get screened for HIV. Yes. Are there any other situations where it's part of regular screening? it's only when a person is uh, pregnant and it's a mandatory when when so the person so if you can't reproduce you're not seen <laughs> <laughs> I am purely did I say that right <laughs> you did you did sorry no you did no. but it's, for me it's uh, back to that thing of well if you can't reproduce then are you seen a being of value and do you need to pay attention to this mm, I think if if a person is single and they cannot get pregnant or they don't want to get pregnant for a choice whatever reason whatever yeah, reason yeah. yeah um then they fall under maybe the the category of any other woman yeah. like maybe any other single woman who if they engage in sexual activities and maybe unprotected more so then they need to be tested yeah or they need and it has to come from them yep which because i know we've had the discussions around the blood transfusion not blood transfusion blood Mm. service Mm -hmm. yes donate what's it called blood blood transfusion transfusion Transfusion. i don't know why that left my brain blood Um, donations i think donations i'm the fact that they say they won't accept donations from people with hiv Uh and it's similar with people, well, gay men, where there is a less time period, even though Mm -hmm. they screen all of their samples for Mm -hmm. HIV. And it's like, there's all of these conditions. Yeah. Um, I think with the, with the blood and with, um, with HIV, I would, it, it all boils down to science as well. And, also being careful because if a person's viral load is undetected sometimes they still have maybe they could have maybe one which wouldn't be um which wouldn't if if they have let's say one virus which is swimming in the in the blood definitely within two days it would disintegrate and die it won't be able to actually leave that bloodstream at all the the chances are zero yeah and uh, with um blood transfusion um i don't think that will be ideal for i don't think that's ideal for um for that to happen that people that are living with hiv should give blood at all yeah and uh sometimes you know some people would say oh yeah yeah, yeah I'm, ad- I'm adhering to medication maybe they could have forgotten for two three days and yeah so just to be on the safer side yeah i think it's uh it's 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 okay to say that people that are living with hiv should not give blood at all yeah and remember as well when when they say 
the virus is undetected. It's not that there's no virus in the body. Yes. There is a, the virus is in there, and most of the times there would be in the lymph nodes, in the glands, in the lymph nodes, because what happens is when the person starts taking medication, the medication will go and seal off the entry points into the CD4 cell so that the virus does not attach itself to the CD4 cell. So if the virus cannot attach itself, that means it cannot go inside yeah. the CD4 cell. Therefore, it cannot replicate at all. So that's what the medication does. It goes and seals off the entry point. It's just like a door, yeah. whereby if it's an empty house and someone wants to go in and you know make themselves comfortable and they find that the door is closed, they won't be able to go in. Yeah. Instead, they'll be stuck outside. But if they manage to open that door and go in, <laughs> wow, it's my house. <laughs> <laughs> I live here now. <laughs> I live here now and I'm going to change this and I'm going to change that. And then I'm also going to have 300 or more babies in this house. <laughs> That's what will happen. But if they, if uh, a person, I was actually talking about the, the CD4 cell that if the, if the CD4 cell is kind of like protected like that, sometimes not sometimes but suppose the person started taking medication uh, after having the virus in their body for five years that means they have some viruses in the blood or the time they started taking medication the virus could have been in stage four which is the integration stage or the replication stage whereby the virus the medication will just go and seal it off yeah seal it in so that it doesn't do anything so if it's sealed in it's not breathing or anything it's unconscious so when somebody is unconscious they can't eat they can't do anything they're just unconscious so that's what happens so it would just go and seal this virus in and the, the virus becomes unconscious the only time that the virus will wake up is when the person stops taking medication the seal breaks off and then the virus will continue from where it yeah. stopped. Um, yes, I was going to say, um, before we finish up our conversation today, and a very insightful conversation that I can add, um, and I was wondering, would you like to speak about maybe the testing that might be happening around where the AIDS day here in Gosh? Yes. Um, from next week, Monday, the 21st. Monday's the 21st, am I right? Which will be last Monday. <laughs> yeah, our podcast comes out last. <laughs> is it? Is it the last yes, Monday? Yes, it is, because you've listened to all the episodes, haven't you? Come <laughs> caught. <Cut. laughs> oh, <God. laughs> You're right. <laughs> so, um, Monday the 21st is the start of European Testing Week. And European Testing Week is a... Is a week that, that's experienced all over Europe. Uh, people came together joint NGOs and World Health Organizations, UNAIDS and all the other all the other uh, organizations that are involved in um, HIV. Um, they came up and they we have this uh, week which is called European Testing Week. It's all the week is dedicated to testing uh, only. Just testing, testing in the community, testing anywhere, everywhere. So 
Monday we are here in gosh gosh will be open the doors will be open and uh, people can just walk in and you know ask for testing it will be here we're not going nowhere we're not going anywhere we're right here <laughs> I just downloaded that song yesterday anyway <laughs> so um uh, that's Monday Tuesday uh, we are in LIT from from 11 o'clock until 3 o'clock and then Wednesday and Thursday Wednesday we are here we're opening at uh, half past 11 in the morning and uh, we finishing at 7 o'clock at night so we have late night uh, testing so people that go to work that can't come during the day um, they can come uh, in the evening and people that you know they would rather not be seen during the day Nowadays, it's getting dark at around half past four, quarter to five. Yeah. You're very welcome to pop in any time after five on Wednesday. Thursday, we're here in-house and we're not doing testing on Friday. But uh, people are welcome to come in and do tests. And if it's not testing, they just want information. We will be here giving out information about anything that people want to know about uh, our services about HIV, about syphilis, about hepatitis, about all the other STIs. Well, thank you, Anne. And I know this podcast is going to come out after the information. Okay. <laughs> is it? But um, it'll be all signposted on our window and yeah. our social media. That and see. also, now that I've, I was talking about uh, European Testing Week, after soon after European Testing Week, then we get to World AIDS Day, which is the 1st of December. So World AIDS Day, uh, we're commemorating World AIDS Day. And don't forget that this year's theme is equality. And um, on World AIDS Day, we have a few things. Uh, we, we still have our doors open for people to come doing testing. We were hoping to um, um, have the this movie, the film, um, how to tell a secret but um unfortunately i don't think it's gonna happen but we will have it first maybe in january and that's about it there's also some run yes there's a run uh, that's taking place in mongrid park and it's on saturday the 26th and pe uh, people are welcome to come and join us and also they're free T-shirts. Do we get to keep the T-shirts? Oh yes, you get to keep the T-shirts. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, you do. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, then. you do. Anything for free. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't the T-shirts. Anything for free. Yes. So there's a run as well. So people are welcome to come and join, and um, it's all information as well. People want to get more information. Please do reach out. You can also uh, give us a, a call, anonymous. We put the helpline. We will be very happy to actually address any yeah. problem that people have with Ooh. regards to SDIs. Uh, other life problems we've known. I'm hopeless. Maybe you can yes. help us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, um, thank you so much, Anne. Um, for coming on and talking to us today don't be a stranger to us and come on again of course thank you very much and uh, it was nice um, sitting here again 
when I was coming, I was like, what am I going to say? Uh, I had notes and everything. Jesus Christ, I'm going to throw them in the shredder. <laughs> They're going into the shred because I didn't. Uh, it was so comfortable. It was just, um, it was just comfortable, yeah. like just flowing. Mm. I'd like, to, I would like to do this more. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um. So thank you so much to everyone who listens to this month's podcast, and hopefully got something from it. And of course, if you want any help or support, um, you can call our office or visit our website at www.gosh.ie, um, for any additional support that you may need. Yeah. And just say thank you to Anne for joining us and we hope you have a nice month. Goodbye. Bye. Thank you. Bye.